dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered, Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, regardless of your gender and race, just dealing with human nature, you're going to run into challenges and things that you have to overcome in the workplace and in life because life is no respect of persons. Dynamic Future Leaders. In each issue of Dynamic, we introduce our readers to some of America's future leaders. In this issue, triple major, triple scholar student Delapo Martins, University of Maryland, Computer Science, Linguistics, Grammars, and Cognition, Classics, Latin and Greek, triple degree candidate, class of 2018. And Kevin Hernandez, a senior studying geological engineering at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Interview cover feature, Department of Energy, Diversity and Inclusion, STEM innovator, Ataline Lawrence. Hello, Mrs. Lawrence. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm well. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with Dynamic Future Leaders today. Um, let's get started. My name is Delapa Martin, and my first question to you um, is, can you please provide a brief history of how you came to be involved in technology? Well, first of all, I have a family filled with educators and professionals from doctors, lawyers, uh, entrepreneurs, anesthesiologists, uh, judges, innovators, okay. and inventors. So I had a lot of role models to emulate and who really supported me in the STEM field. So originally I was interested in being a medical doctor, a doctor of OBGYN. I was tossed between that and dancing for Alvin Ailey. And my family really supported being a medical doctor. However, I worked my way through college. I worked three part-time jobs, carried a full load of 18 credits. And by the time I graduated, I was exhausted. However, I was still interested in science and mathematics at Howard University. I was a pre-med student, majoring in zoology and minoring in chemistry. Uh, My favorite science class outside of the biological sciences was organic chemistry. And it's just something that I've always connected to and with um, from childhood by exploring nature and having a house full of pets of different species and kinds and um, being surrounded with people who were in the field. 
one of my first jobs coming out of college was working at the Naval Medical Command where I was wearing a moon suit working uh, with radioisotopes and segregating radioactive waste. So throughout my career, I've been involved in the medical aspect, uh, physical science, industrial hygiene, uh, environment, safety and health, the wide spectrum, so it's been rich. And also had the opportunity to cultivate Henrietta Locke's cancer cells when I worked at the National Institute of Health. So even though I didn't go into medical school, I've been involved with a wide variety of scientific and technological fields. And working in the energy field and supporting uh, that type of work wasn't necessarily in my radar, but that's where I ended up. And it's been a, a very good fit. That is amazing. I can really relate to a lot of what you said. Um, once again, Bilalpo here. Um, kind of transitioning into talking about, you know, your background some more. Can you tell me why diversity in technology is important in technology? Diversity is extremely important in technology because it provides a platform for bringing different perspectives into play. When you have a diverse team, you're able to address issues, concerns, and unidentified problems that may have otherwise been overlooked. And an example that I love to give is one that was in the media recently, which is a young boy named, I'll just have to spell his name because I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, R-U-I-T, who's from Asia. And he grew up in a very small village no running water, no electricity. Uh, the schools were extremely far away from where he lived. And he witnessed a lot of people in his village going blind because they didn't have access to cataract surgery that they could afford. And when his sister passed at the age of 17 from tuberculosis, he wanted to make sure that he was put in a position where he could help people not be destroyed by preventable and curable diseases. So he went to medical school, came back to his village, and by changing the process to become more streamlined, simplified, and manual, he was able to cut the cost per procedure from $200 to $25. So this helped a wide number of people to have better eyesight and not end up going blind because they didn't have access or funding for medical care. So when you have people in diverse fields addressing the needs of their own, there's more attention to it, uh, there's resolve, and a different perspective to make life better for everyone. Thank you. It sounds really interesting. Really great perspective. Hi, Opaline. It's Kevin. Hi. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing good. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, so in your experiences, what have been some strengths and drawbacks of being a woman and minority working in technology? And how have your accomplishments affected the perception of minorities in leadership technology positions? 
That's a very interesting question because regardless of your gender and race, just dealing with human nature, you're going to run into challenges and things that you have to overcome in the workplace and in life because life is no respect of persons. And it's going to happen. But what's very important is how you respond to life events. So for me, growing up in Texas and having uh, a family that is very focused on education and contributing to community, it was understood that I would go to college. It wasn't something that was discussed because the expectation was that you would go to college because mostly everyone in my family, I would say 98% have gone to college to get master's master's degrees or PhDs or what have you. So that was the expectation. And so I grew up knowing that excuses aren't something that we accept or discuss and that there's nothing that you should allow preventing you from moving forward, including color. So when I came out of college, I worked at the Naval Research Laboratory. That was my second job, and I was the first physical science African-American that they hired. And what was interesting was that they were telling me that it wasn't, easy or they couldn't find any people of color in the technological fields, which I really couldn't relate to because everyone in my family and the people I went to school with were involved in STEM some type of way. So it's important to remind people that you have to go beyond the norm and go out of the box to promote diversity. So you have to make it accessible and provide the information in those areas in order to achieve diversity. And then when I came to the Department of Energy, I was the first African-American environmental scientist that human resources said the department had hired. And as an offshoot, there have been more environmental scientists there. Uh, Several African-American women have stated that when I got my master's and I was being promoted, that inspired them to go back to school and get higher degrees and pursue advancement in their career. So it's really about having exposure, uh, encouraging and empowering people uh, to move ahead and look beyond the, the barriers. And I have been very fortunate because the majority of my supervisors have been very supportive and given me opportunity for growth. So, I'm sorry. Sorry, I keep going. No, I was just saying, so it's important to take advantage of opportunities and have presence and be persistent. Uh, On one hand, when we don't see ourselves, we don't necessarily think that that's attainable for us. And then if we're not present, then others may think that this isn't a space that we're supposed to be in. So it's about perseverance, persistence, and presence. Definitely a great message. Thank you. And so um, kind of transitioning to another question. So you had mentioned how you 
getting your master's had influenced others to want to go back to get theirs. And so I was wondering, can you name a person who has like impacted you and made you want to be a leader? And what, and what about them did they uh, led you to um, influence you like that? Well, the person that readily comes to my mind is my father, Roy Lee Johnson, who was an avid and skilled golfer and often played with some of the top political officials in Dallas, Texas. In addition to that, he was a Buffalo soldier in the 9th Cavalry and a licensed attorney. And while he served in Korea, he helped African-American soldiers who didn't know how to read and write to learn how to read and write and help them process their papers. And more importantly, encouraged them to do more than slave labor because back in that time, that was the expectation for African-Americans. So he encouraged them to do more and strive for more and to, you know, go outside of those barriers and exceed the expectations that others try to place on them. And he was one of the first African-American postal workers in Dallas, Texas, who endured extreme harsh treatment and ridicule. However, he believed in doing his best at all times and taking pride in his work. So he didn't allow outside influences to impact his ability to do a great job. So he left the Postal Service and was transferred to Washington, D.C., where he worked in the executive branch of the White House doing logistics, and he was also very involved in employee labor law. So his life impacted mine, and his presence helped me develop a desire and passion for advocacy. So, for example, I'm involved with the National Treasury Employee Union, uh, NTEU, and what we do is we represent federal employees and serve as an advocate for them in the workplace and in Congress and in the courts. So NTEU knows that professional civil service is essential to delivering all the critical government services that Americans require, including high-level research. So as the vice president of Chapter 213, I have an opportunity to hone and utilize my leadership skill. And also, because of my father's commitment to equity, justice, and empowerment, it's helped to shape my core values to this day regarding leadership. That's a really amazing story. I didn't know that. It's really cool. Um, Thank you. So that's like on your family side, so like more like values and everything. So then, as a like in your professional career, um, who have been your mentors to you, and how have these people impacted your life in like a more professional setting? Well, I've been blessed to have a lot of great mentors and wonderful supervisors for the most part, but two that really stand out is. Marvin Gunn, who is a retired member of the Senior Executive Service, and my former supervisor. And what Marvin did is he provided sound wisdom when I needed needed it. He provided excellent guidance and supported my interests and goals. The second person, and currently, is Dr. Frederick Soto, who continually um, provides encouragement, Uh, provides access to opportunities and new experiences, and his guidance also helps to ensure my success. 
Hi, wow, Delapo here. Um, I can certainly relate to that. Um, I know that for me, mentors have probably been the most impactful people in my life. Um, right. Now, shifting more so to you um, now being a leader in the industry and in, and in your field, um, can you tell me some important decisions that you make as a leader that may or may not be popular um, as relates to your role? Well, the decisions I make or cross-cutting dealing with selection of interns, uh, identifying budget, helping to establish or define policy or give recommendations for policy. But basically, as a leader, there are times when you have to make hard decisions. And during these times, it's important to fully weigh the cost, examine all viable options, and make a determination on what is the most practical, effective, and profitable route without compromising the mission. Hmm. When the final decision okay. is made, you have to be able to stand by your decision, demonstrate that you exercise due diligence, and that the decision derives from being well-informed. And a lot of people think that leadership is a glamorous role, but there's a heavy mantle that's on you, and a lot of times it's not popular, and you have to make unpopular decisions for the good of all. Mm. Wow. Um, so when you're making those decisions, um, I guess I'm wondering what's, you know, the most important to you? Um, is it the mission, your core values, or your vision, and why do you think that's the most important um, factor when making those decisions? For me, vision is the most important, and that could be that there's a, a strong artistic side and flair to me, and I like to be able to imagine uh, something that potentially is, is tangible. So I relate more to vision and consider that important. And another reason is because vision is what propels me to move forward. Vision helps me to establish a well-defined mission. So the vision comes first, and then the mission falls behind that, and then that's based on core values that I have that relate to the vision that I have in place. Because it's important for me to know what the end product, goal, and destination is in order to determine how to obtain it. Wow, makes sense. Thank you. Uh, so what, in your opinion, is one characteristic that you believe every leader should set? To be an effective leader, I think it's very important to be able to listen, and I mean really listen to the ideas, concerns, and recommendations of others. For me, collective collaboration is a vital tool for success because with that, you benefit from diverse perspectives, and viewpoints that could save cost, ultimately save time and resources, and potentially inspire innovation and discovery. Interesting. So then, in the more abstract I thought, so what are like the biggest challenges facing leaders today in general? Well, the workplace is changing at a rapid rate. Technology is advancing at a rapid rate. Uh, there are new leadership styles that are emerging, and change 
it's always going to be the constant. But in this day and age, it seems that it's expedited. So one of the biggest challenges I see facing leaders is having the ability and the willingness to readily adapt to change. All right. So then, um, so with all these like new challenges that leaders are facing, do you see them like mistakes that leaders tend to be making like more frequently than others do? One of the big, biggest mistakes I see uh, leaders making is not fully recognizing and utilizing the skills, abilities, and strengths to support the mission. So a lot of times we get caught up in the process and what we're used to doing and not really looking at the individuals that make up the team and what they can contribute. Okay. And so then uh, what are some behaviors or traits that, like, um, that leaders possess, do you think, would be uh, end up derailing uh, some, like, leaders? Let me explain that. One of the major ones is not leading by example. You can really lose credibility and be perceived as being a hypocrite and not following your own examples. So why should someone follow behind you? Because if you're not doing what you're professing, then why should we believe that that works? An example I can give is my son taught a football team a freshman O-line. He was a freshman O-line coach for the first time, but he played in college and was extremely good. So he took on this job, and he relates very well to young people. But one thing that he did as a coach, and a coach is a leader as well, is that when they went through the exercises, he was out there doing the drills with them. He was out there running with them. So this team used to be uh, considered a losing team, and winning wasn't something that they aspired to do. But my son, William Leo Lawrence, Jr., he's focused on winning. He's used to winning. And so he imparted that into the students that he coached, but he was down in the trenches with them. So this team ended up being undefeated during his first year of coaching. Wow, that's impressive. Um, so then, like, what advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for their first time? Well, there are a lot of things that uh, a new leader should do. First, become very aware of the culture. Because wherever you work and you move from one uh, position to another, the culture is going to be different. So know what the culture is really learn what systems are already in place before trying to change something. And also encourage creativity. A lot of times we get caught up in the process and we're not open to new ideas and ways to improve procedures and processes. So study, uh, be involved, evaluate your current situation, and welcome and encourage creativity. Interesting. So 
Um, on the flip side then, when you are looking for advice from other leaders, what do you like to ask them when you get the chance to learn more from them? The thing that intrigues me most when I run into leaders is that I want them to share with me their career journey, what life experiences they had that they encountered that impacted their decision-making and their focus. And also, how did those life experiences change their view and their perception of things and of people? Hmm. Um, hmm. Wow. Now, on the flip side, um, as opposed to what you, you know, looked again um, from other leaders, can you share a few resources that you personally would recommend to someone looking to gain insight into, like, pursuing a career in technology? Well, as I mentioned before, before I come from a long line of educators, and my mother, Othelene Lawrence, is a retired school teacher for more than 50 years and still substitutes as a teacher at the young age of 92. And she has her master's degree and believes that you never, ever arrive. There's always room for improvement. And her personal mantra is that she will continue to learn as long as there's breath in her body. And one of the things that we tend to not always do is take advantage of the resources and learning tools that are available at our fingertips. So with that being said, education and learning is essential is an essential tool for um for growth. And there are a number of resources that are available. And five that readily come to my mind uh would be the first is that the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy has a solar, wind, and bioenergy career map. And that helps individuals to better understand the job options that are available to them by academic concentration. And then you also want to apply for internships and fellowships. That's a great opportunity to get your foot in the door and see things up close and in person and possibly make an impact on the mission where you're working. The other is to talk to experts in the career fields that you're interested in. There's a wealth of knowledge from learning and hearing their stories and having them connect you to other people that can help you and give you insight. And attend professional conferences. Kevin knows about that. A lot of students don't necessarily attend conferences. So when you attend a conference, you stand out because the experts see you as someone who's taking your career journey seriously. You're going to workshops, you're learning a lot, and you're meeting people who can help you navigate through your career journey. And then also take advantage of uh, free online certification and training tools, such as the Federal Energy Ma um, Management Program, which we call FEMP, Certification Training Series. And each training certificate series helps build a pathway for career advancement and relevant uh, and skills-based training. And those are just a few of the things that are available. Wow. I, I honestly, besides the conferences, didn't know about a few of the things that you mentioned, so I'm really glad you brought those up. Um, 
And I guess um, on a slightly more different note, um, can you tell us one thing that no one would ever guess about you? Oh, there's several things, but one comes to mind is that um, I actually had the opportunity to travel with the National Geographic and the Indian Law Resource Center to Belize, Central America. And the purpose of that was to help organize the presentation of the very first atlas developed by the Mayan Indians to present to their government. That's that's amazing. This is a great experience. <laughs> um, wow, no, I'm so sorry. Like that's just amazing experience. I, that's a one in a lifetime type of thing. Um, but wow. Well, um, you you know I, it's really important. It's really important for me. Um, my life is rich because I didn't sit back and wait for someone to present something to me. When opportunities made themselves available, I took advantage of them and seized the opportunity. So you can't just sit back and wait for it to come to you. Sometimes you have to go out and get it. Wow. Sounds like your motto. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Ms. Lawrence, once again, um, for your insight and just, you know, talking to us about leadership and how it relates to technology and STEM and energy. And we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. Dynamic Diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be